0: Um <coughs> uh, so good afternoon everyone. Um must apologize for uh, not being able to sit on the floor at the moment. I, I've got a, a small problem with my knee. Um, <clears throat> so the um, the format this afternoon will uh, <clears throat> be um, similar to on previous occasions. Um, <clears throat> although um, as there's such a, a large group and, and many of you... Um, who uh, I've not met before, um, then I think um, we'll try to give as much time for questions and answers as, uh, as possible. And I'll try to refrain from talking for too long um, so that um, we can make sure that this time we have together is as useful as possible for everyone. Well, I'd like to to begin by <clears throat> saying a few words on the the topic of Pawana um, and it's <clears throat> may may be somewhat surprising um, for many of us to find on um, studying. The Buddhist texts that there um, is not really a word which corresponds exactly to uh, the word meditation, as is generally used um, these days in in um, in the Buddhist discourses <coughs> and. Um this I, I believe is um a cause of some confusion about the Buddha's teachings, which um, is, I think, diminishing um over the has been diminishing over the past few years, but is still um <clears throat> quite commonly found um, for instance, the the idea that Buddhism is uh, predominantly um, an inner individualist um, discipline, uh, one which is um, lacking a um, comprehensive social dimension. Or that um, it's possible to extract um, certain... Um, techniques from the body of the Buddha's teaching and um, develop them independently of context. <clears throat> and I believe that um, Sarah, that kind of view um, is due to some degree at least um, because we have this idea of meditation as being a particular kind of um, activity or or something you do at a certain time and place, in a certain posture. So if we uh, look at this word, um, pavana, the the word pavana probably um, translates most... um, accurately as cultivation so it's it's a path of cultivation and there are four areas of cultivation there's the cultivation of our relationship to the material world the cultivation of our relation to to the social world Those are the two external aspects. Then there's the cultivation of our emotional world. And that is uh, focused uh, upon finding ways of reducing and eliminating what we call unwholesome mental states, negative mental states, or defilements as they're often caused and finding skillful means of creating, cultivating, um, sustaining, bringing to maturation the positive wholesome dhammas or mental states. And then fourthly there's the cultivation of wisdom and understanding. So a lot of um, what is referred to um, as meditation would lie in the third of those four categories. <clears throat> the cultivation of the, um, the emotional world, skillful means techniques of dealing with negative mental states and producing and sustaining wholesome mental states. <clears throat> now these um, four areas of pawana or cultivation are um, intimately inseparably connected and that when certain aspects of this whole um, process of cultivation is uh, or are uh, <clears throat> developed um, then it becomes um, uh, can become a kind of um, stress-reduction technique or um, some kind of therapy, which, which is um, good. I mean, there's nothing obviously um, to be said against um, those things. But the liberating dimension of the Buddha's teachings um, is lost. So in this um, understanding of the Buddha's teaching, then uh, putting effort into um, uh, our relationship to our own physical body, um, eating um, good, wholesome and nutritious foods, Um, in the right amount, at the right times, getting enough rest, getting enough exercise. Uh, These are not mundane externalities. These are um, intimately connected with your um, success in the more formal meditation practices. It's, we just have uh, one life, one one mind, and um, everything has to be developed in harmony. So um, we are um, generally very technically oriented, and we tend to assume that problems have technical uh, solutions and um, in a meditation practice uh, then there may well be um, a lot of mental agitation movement in the mind and the um, usual reaction to that is to try to find a particular technique uh, to overcome that problem. But in many um, cases the uh, chronic mental agitation experienced um, in meditation practices um, is a warning or a signal that our life in the world um, is out of harmony and that we, we are lacking <clears throat> awareness, um, sense restraint. Um, not applying our understanding of the way the body and the mind works in our daily life. So if we're taking in too much information, <clears throat> there's no filtering, there's no um, valuation, there's, <clears throat> um, there's no gaps, there's no rest from this constant flow of stimulation, then it's unreasonable and unrealistic to expect that meditation practices uh, will be um, successful, or at least will um, lead beyond that very superficial noise in the mind. So there are certain problems and challenges that arise in the meditation practice which um, can be dealt with um, by application of specific antidotes and um, techniques but we also um, need to be able to stand back from uh, meditation sessions and to Um, evaluate whether or not the way that we live our life in the world um, is um, conducive to the um, progress in, in Dhamma. So the, um, if we look closely at the kinds of things that pop up in our mind or, or draw our mind away, from our meditation object then um, very often we find that they are a sense of distress or uneasiness about things that we've said or done or other people have said or done or not said or not done that we wanted them to say or do. So this is the realm of Sila, uh, of morality in the Buddhist sense <clears throat> which I refer to um, just now as a cultivation of our relationship to the social world. So it's bringing our intelligence to bear upon um, the best way to live in families and in communities and what principles on which to base our uh, conduct and behavior. And the basic principle is that uh, human beings um, need to feel safe, um, need to feel warmth, need to feel valued and respected. And that kind of safe, warm environment um, can be cultivated um, when we, as a group, whether it's a family or as a um, community of some any kind, make certain commitments. Um, <clears throat> we recognize that it's not possible to make vows or commitments, never to get angry or upset. With each other but we can certainly and it's by no means unrealistic um, to make a commitment um, that no matter how angry I may be no matter how upset I may be I will never hit you I will never abuse you <clears throat> I will never make you feel unsafe and that's uh, um, an act of charity it's it's a gift that we give to those around us the gift of harmlessness and so the five precepts which form um, basic foundation of Buddhist morality are, are five training five commitments um, that we make they are pegs or objects of mindfulness in daily life which we uphold in order to create the kind of communities that um, are able to sustain spiritual life, spiritual progress. When we act and speak in hurtful, harmful ways, then uh, it affects our uh, relationship with ourselves and one who is uh, going to grow in the Dhamma uh, has to um, have a basic foundation of self-respect and has to like um, himself or herself and that basic um, positive regard towards oneself is uh, created, sustained um, by voluntarily taking upon oneself certain restrictions of how we act and how we speak um, and also by acts of generosity. So in the traditional Buddhist formulation, we say dana and sila provide the foundation for pawanā. So by, by giving and sharing and refraining from hurting and harming, uh, we create warm, loving um, communities and families. And internally, uh, there is a, a marked absence of feelings of guilt and self-recrimination. And a, um, a positive regard which gives us the um, energy and the um, interest in developing um, this cultivation in all areas of our life. So we're observing. This is the um, key virtue. We're observing, we're learning from our experience. Um, If we act in this way, we speak in this way, how does it affect us? How does it affect our mental state? How does it affect our meditation? If we we give some time to uh, application of some meditation techniques, um, how does that affect our general sense of well-being? How does it affect our (coughs) um, feelings of um, uh, kindness and and, uh, clarity of mind and um, understanding of ourselves and others? It's by keeping close track of what happens uh, within our life, within our body and mind, Within our relationships with others, um, that we find the um, the willingness to bear with the ups and downs of spiritual life, because we we see for ourselves very clearly that it works. Um, that's not to say that we're we're experiencing any um, very Um, elevated mental states, at least to begin with, but we see that something is happening. Um, Something is changing. There's some transformation taking place. And we may, we feel a few months ago, if somebody had said that or somebody uh, had acted in that way, we would have been hurt and upset all day, maybe for more than one day. Um, And now um, we feel just a momentary uh, twinge or some uh, feelings of hurt which very quickly um, dissolve. So looking for the results of, of practice, um, my advice is not to look um, too high for some um, special states of um, elevated consciousness, but just the um, very simple, uh, everyday, um, incremental um, development of of wholesome mental states and the weak, weakening of unwholesome mental states. So this um, cultivation, um, in its um, in in the the realm of meditation techniques, which is what most people are familiar with. Um, <clears throat> is, um, I believe, best seen within the context of this overall development or education or cultivation. Um, one, one example is that uh, for, for many people practicing meditation, it's like something you do, something that's quite, quite difficult and challenging. Um, But you do because you believe there's a reward at the end of it. And maybe you call that reward peace or um, uh, liberation or whatever. Um, But the first thing to recognize is you don't really know what those words refer to. They're just words. But this idea of uh, working, applying yourself, uh, to some activity in order to get a reward at the end of it um, can be a very harmful one in meditation. Um, what tends to happen is that there 's a like a waterfall, a rush of thoughts and feelings and memories and and so on and and it 's um, really hard work, and you keep um, Working and working and working, trying to bring the mind back and bring the mind back and bring the mind back um and then the um the volume of thought and distraction starts to peter out a little bit, and there seems to there starts to be some space between the thoughts and the memories, <laughs> and then you feel like, "Oh, now I've got my reward. this is wonderful and then the mind just like bathes and enjoys um, that uh, absence of confusion, and it's at that point that you get sleepy um, and you lose your your mindfulness because uh, you're relaxing that alertness and attention, um, which is the heart of, of Buddhist meditation. So. Um i believe it's um, it's a much wiser approach um to uh, these practices um to see them in terms of um, the four right efforts, one of the um, eight um, factors of the eightfold path that is to say uh, the effort to protect the mind um, from um, defilements, from unwholesome mental states, the effort to reduce, to uh, weaken, to eliminate um, negative mental states that do arise or have already arisen, the effort to bring into the mind and to create the wholesome, uh, noble Mental states that have not yet arisen, and caring for those um, beautiful and noble mental states that have arisen and uh, bringing them uh, to to maturation. <coughs> so that that pattern or that um, orientation um, is one which can be applied in every area of cultivation, in our relationship to the material world, in our relationship to the social world, in our relationships, um, and uh, most clearly um, and um, undisguisedly in meditation practice. So we're we're, uh, moving away from saying I'm going to apply this technique in order to get that result I'm Say, I'm, I'm applying this technique in order to develop my skills um, in protecting the mind from unwholesome mental states, developing the skill of recognizing and dealing wisely and skillfully with, um, uh, with unwholesome mental states that have arisen. I'm learning skills of bringing into the mind appropriate. Um, Uh, wholesome mental states and I'm learning how to recognize these and understanding the causes and conditions necessary to uh, uphold in order for those mental states to stabilize and to become uh, more and more refined and more and more mature. So if we take that um, view or that um, vision of meditation, then we can move away from this idea of bad meditation, good meditation, or I'm a bad meditator, or I'm a good meditator, or I can do this, or I can't do it, it's too hard, and, or, or whatever, <clears throat> because all those kinds of um, assessments you know, are based upon this gaining idea now that 's not to say that we don't um, have any uh, sense of direction in meditation it 's totally present moment oriented but the um, the analogy which um, I, I feel is most useful in this context is um, of someone swimming in a lake towards an island in the middle of the lake, and the um, the foolish Swimmer um, lifts his head up out of the water and is is totally focused on the island. <clears throat> and two things happen uh, when uh, the fool foolish person does that. One, um, because his eye is so fixed on the on the goal, um, it seems like it, it's um, never going to arrive. You get very frustrated and feel that nothing's happening. But um, also, and uh, importantly, lifting the head out of the water means that you 're not swimming um, in the most effective way. Your stroke is affected, and so you are in fact um, swimming more slowly than you would otherwise so So the wise person um, uh, determines on the goal in this case the island in the middle of the lake, and then puts the best effort into the stroke uh, making the best possible stroke swimming in the best possible way. And then every now and again just lifts his head up or her head up, just to check um, that is still swimming in the right direction. So it's just this occasional check, just this occasional tweak or fine-tuning, and just making sure that you're still on track. But the bulk of the effort, the majority um, of the the effort is uh, on the quality um, of the stroke. Or in this analogy, um, the um, the effort to um, deal with the raw material um, that you have at your disposal in this particular meditation session. Now, in... in, uh, There are so many different, um, ideas, um, about meditation, um, in its narrow, um, sense and, um, it's not, not for me to, uh, to say which is right and which is wrong, um, but the Buddha did give us uh, one handy um, shorthand uh, method for uh, or rule of thumb uh, to assess these, and that is, if any teacher or any um, <clears throat> the meditation center says only this is right, everyone else is wrong, um, then you should be a bit wary of um, that teacher. Or, um, or that uh, meditation centre. When people start uh, making kind of snide comments about um, other or uh, other methods, or being condescending, critical, then it's something to um, be a little bit um, wary of. Um, in turn, ter- um, one of the the, the um, Dilemma, and uh, not dilemmas, one of the talking points um, for a long, long time now is the um, the question of Samatha and Vipassana. Many of you um, maybe have, have heard these words, and, and they've, they've um, become very popular ways of talking about meditation, even though in the Buddhist discourses um, they are hardly ever... Used. What I would um, like to say about on this topic is that in our in our practice, the um, samadhi, stability, um, clarity of mind, and the ability to um, develop insight, clear insight into the nature of the body and mind is only possible uh, when the mind is free of what we call the five hindrances. And these are the, um, the particular mental obstructions, the particular um, imbalances or negative mental states which come up uh, most frequently when we give the mind a job to do such as keeping our attention focused on a particular object, for instance. (coughs) So, um, this um, effort to protect the mind, um, to um, deal with negative mental states, create and sustain positive mental states. Um, In first um, periods of meditation, um, we can say that the negative mental states here we're dealing with are what we call the five hindrances. And the uh, positive mental states are something we call the seven bojangas or enlightenment factors. Now, in um, finding a way of um, applying these four right efforts in terms of the and the Bojangas will notice um, that sometimes um, the best way for us is a meditation uh, which is completely free uh, of any kind of conceptualization, any kind of discursive thought. The obvious example here being the uh, focusing on the sensation of the breath or of uh, physical sensations throughout the body. But there are also occasions um, when we we find that there is this need um, which we, we have to recognize and, and respect. There is this need um, to think and that um, it, the mind is just not um, in the right mood, I guess you'd say for the non-discursive meditation. And in that case, uh, recognizing that, then we uh, can apply the more discursive kind of meditation, um, such as um, investigation of the nature of the body, uh, reflecting uh, sorts of loving-kindness, reflecting on death. Um, For instance, and in this case, we um, give the mind a little bit of rope to work with. We say, okay, you want to think, you can think, but you have to think on this particular theme. You have to think systematically. Um, and you have to <clears throat> sustain um, that thinking process within certain very clearly defined boundaries. And um, when we do that, um, sometimes we can find that the mind becomes um, is willing to let go of its attachments, let go of the hindrances much more readily than simply um, switching to this non discursive mode immediately and After developing the discursive meditation for a certain period, the mind is is uh, is full, it doesn't want to think anymore, it's enough. So it's this gradual weaning away from thought, rather than just sort of cutting it off straight away. And both both approaches are legitimate, are valid, and work at different times. Um, But if we take the mindfulness of breathing as our um, main meditation object, then it's not that every time we sit down that the mind is ready um, to be with the breath um, at the uh, tip of the nose, for instance. Sometimes the mind's quite agitated and um, from we've just come from some busy event. <coughs> and some of the discursive uh, meditation um, can well um, be very useful in allowing the mind to let go of the uh, of its um, preoccupations, and just very naturally um, ready itself to go into the non-discursive kinds of um, practice, such as mindfulness breathing. So we have certain basic principles and certain uh, fundamental understanding of what we're doing in meditation, and then within. That those boundaries, we have a certain flexibility, in which we can deal with our mind most effectively at each particular, um, on each particular occasion, that we sit down um, to meditate. But, um, for of course, um, going back to um, what I've been talking about before, if you are living a very Uh, busy life, or you feel sort of guilty about some of the things that you've been, or you feel kind of uh, uneasy or uh, not happy with yourself, then often you'll find excuses not to meditate. So it's not just a matter of um, understanding techniques, um, but it's um, finding that consistent willingness and interest in applying those techniques, that's much more difficult. Um, and that's why the the other areas um, of practice um are so important in the um the practice of of anapanasati which i uh, or mindfulness of breathing, which I mentioned just now non discursive meditation, now what happens when the mind drifts off um get lost in some Memory or some um, fantasy or imagination. Now, if you uh, recognise that the mind has wandered, and you re-establish your attention straight away, then that's fine. That's um, you're developing a very good mental habit of being aware of what's going on in your mind and making um, a value judgment. That um, this um, thought, this memory, this fantasy um, is not in line with my aspirations it's um, it 's not what I intended or intending to be doing right now, so that 's um, developing a very good habit and a strength of mind or like a, a kind of mental muscle, but you can um, Intensify that um, by being a little bit more conscious um, and even mentally uh, marking something as um, insubstantial or impermanent or worthless or meaningless. And this is um, adding a, a, a dimension of, of wisdom. An understanding, an insight into the basic meditation, uh, non-discursive meditation practice. So, um, what I what I really wanted to um, to say is that in any uh, at any moment in meditation, there's always a balance um, between the wisdom faculty, that sense of alertness, awareness, evaluation, and the the calming, or the tranquility, or the stillness, the stability of mind. And in a meditation session, uh, there is a a constant need to re-establish that balance. And sometimes if the mind is um, um, is losing its clarity, um, and the hindrances are increasing, then maybe we need to um, introduce a little bit more of the wisdom uh, investigative um, um, approach. Sometimes if the mind are too agitated then to um, emphasize the stillness, clarity, stability of mind. So if we take these two qualities of stillness, stability on one hand and this um, awareness, evaluation, measuring, um, assessment um, as corresponding on this stage of practice to the samatha and vipassana because these two things are uh, organically connected. It's more a, a sense of emphasis in practice. The um, a, Another point, a connected point here is that if uh, one develops this uh, meditation on the breath, for instance, to a point where we're able to let go of the hindrances um, and the mind is very still and bright and clear and, and is uh, intense, sense of well-being arises in the mind then um, then is that samatha, is that vipassana, what what is that well I I don't think that's such a um, a beneficial path to to follow what what can be observed um, is that I think we all of us have heard since we were children that you know, true happiness lies within; it doesn't lie with uh, things outside of ourselves. And every spiritual tradition, every great teacher and guru and roshi, and you know, have all said the same kind of thing. And, and basically, we pay lip service to this. Um, but although we we might um, say that we totally agree and believe that if we're very honest with ourselves um, and look at the kind of decisions that we make about how we live our life and how we um, and the values um, that uh, we live our lives by um, then it's not so clear-cut at all There's a there's a conflict there so one of the values of um, realizing this state of inner stillness is not that it's um, you know, the goal of meditation in itself. It's a beautiful, wonderful um, thing to realize. But most importantly, um, it gives us that unshakable um, conviction that yes, um, true happiness does lie within. This isn't um, just uh, some uh, mystic teaching or some um, uh, some slogan or other, but it's abs- actually true. And uh, I, I can, I have experienced just um, uh, a little bit of that of that peace, and that experience. Um, can then um, start to affect um, your relationship to the world around you, to the everyday enjoyments and pleasures. It's not that you suddenly want to become a monk or a nun necessarily, but there's not that kind of grasping, hungry hungry ghost um, kind of um, chasing after um, external uh, pleasures in the same way. There's a re um, evaluation, a recognition of the pros and cons, the values, the, the um, advantages and disadvantages of, of those experiences. So we can find that we make uh, quite um, important and significant changes in our life. Uh, following an experience of samadhi, very wise changes in our life. So um, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm propounding this idea that this idea that you know just uh, concentrating and just making your mind peaceful is a kind of a dead end, or you know you should um, go. Uh, go straight for vipassana, and that's where the real um, practice lies. And and seeing that the um, it's not quite so simple as that. And the kind of changes that uh, we make in our life, um, we are willing to make in our life, and this can be in external mundane matters as well as in more uh, profound spiritual matters, Only we can only um, dare, or we're only courageous enough to make these changes when we feel safe, and when we feel secure, and when we feel stable, and where we feel we have some kind of bedrock of experience um, within us. So I think think it's uh, so common. We're in this um, dilemma of you know, better the devil that we do, the devil we don't. Better Something, no matter how um, imperfect and unsatisfactory it is, um, is better than nothing and that's that 's always the fear you know where so many uh, foolish and and, and harmful um, things we become involved in our lives, and one part of us knows yeah it 's not really right it 's not, but at the same time, if i didn 't have this i wouldn 't have anything. And that's one of the uh, major reasons for, for a s- strong attachment to things as single. If I didn't have this, I'd have nothing at all. And so, this inner um, stability and clarity and, and, and bedrock um, experience of samadhi is one that reassures us um, that we can let go of these kinds of attachments and we won't be totally bereft and, and um, uh, completely abandoned with with nothing in our life at all. So with the uh, this um, inner sense of deep, stable well-being, then we are applying ourselves to observing and learning from experience wherever we are. And uh, Ajahn Chah would always say, you know, you put out the fire um, wherever it's burning. So he, he was criticizing people who think to get on and practice you, know, you need to go to live in a monastery or go on a meditation course and then you can really do the practice. But he said wherever you are suffering in your life, that's where the practice is, you know, work, work right there. So if you are giving a certain um, amount of time every day to this more um, uh, focused um, application to the four right efforts and then applying those four right efforts in your daily life, you're getting a lot of information. Uh, The more you observe, the more you learn. And... Ajahn Man, the great teacher, said that um, everything, everything is teaching us. Every blade of grass is, is ready to teach us. But it's just that we're, we're, we don't, haven't developed our faculties to the extent that we can learn from these things. So we're, we're purifying our faculties. Um, in order to learn, you know, what is, how does suffering arise? What is the cause of suffering? How do we let go of suffering? What is the, what is the path to, to liberation? So these are not philosophical positions or um, theories, but this is everyday life, learning from our everyday experiences of like and dislike, um, pain, pleasure, satisfaction, dissatisfaction. But we have to develop this inner faculty of uh, being able to put aside all the usual noise and distraction and being able to learn from um, what is happening around us and within us moment by moment. (coughs) So I would like to end the discourse at this point.